It's time for everybody's favorite show about the great state of Utah. It's the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, free defender of all that is woman, Jeremy, the daddest of dads, Jessica, producer extraordinaire, and Chris, pretend radio leader of the show. I'm going to re-record it. <laughs> I decided just now. I, I don't dislike it. I think it's okay, but I need to re-record it because... Uh, I think it's not, the levels are messed up a little, and um, I'd like to have uh, normal inflection throughout. Um, I want to know why I'm defender of all women, or things woman, or whatever it was. Defender of all that is woman. If you listen to the episodes, you are defender of all that is woman. That is a recurring theme. You defend women and women's rights a lot. You're super invested in it, more so than anyone else on this podcast. And Jess is a woman, so... <laughs> what are you? Is that a? Because that you're not a woman? Is am I? Uh, oh, I'm definitely a lady. A lady, but not I'm a, a woman. lady. I'm not a lady. You're a woman, not a lady. Jess is a lady, not a woman. Why can't right? I be both? I mean, you can, but you went <laughs> when I <laughs> when I suggested that you were a woman. So um, it is. I wish that I were a lady. I'd love to be a lady, but. I swear way too much, and I'm way too opinionated to be a lady. It is episode 196. Oh, so Brie got me a calendar. Speaking of swearing, um, Brie got me a calendar that's like anti-affirmations, and it is <laughs> probably the best page-a-day desk calendar that I have gotten to to, to date uh, out of this relationship. Um <laughs> We do it every year, and then we always get each other a page-a-day calendar for Christmas. Um, Santa delivers them. Um but uh, one of them said, um, swear words are just sentence enhancers. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my new mantra. It's actually, I took that one and pinned it on my wall. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I have the same calendar that I had about oh, maybe four or five years ago, maybe even longer. And the one that I have pinned from the same version of the calendar, but four or five years ago, says um, something like, Love is like a it has something to do with the boomerang, but basically, if you throw it away and it comes back, you're you're in love with a boomerang. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm obsessed with it, so I like pinned it up there. So, uh, speaking of calendars, Jeremy, what is today? Oh yeah, hold on, just well, I guess tomorrow. Don't is, forget oh, to grab your yeah, mic. Yeah, or turn on grab, turn hers back on. Yeah, grab this mic. And there you go. It should be good. Can you hear me? Okay. No, you yeah, grab I the mic. Grab dude. It. I didn't say grab. Whoa. I should have probably turned it off. So that's as far as it goes, because the cables. Oh, yeah, they're taped. Okay, but you're fine. Read it. They're they're twisty-tied together. All right, hold on. Here we go. Jess is helping you out here. Oh, boy. We have just wrecked all all the hard setup I did. It's good. It's all good. That's why I haven't taken the mic with me so far to the calendar. That's all right. It works. It's, it's this is way better than All right. This. So here we go. Today. Oh, you forgot to turn the gain down. <laughs> Jeremy went from talking like this to talking like this in the mic. He was just very now excited the mic's about what's going on. And he got excited. So. Well, I'm like, very oh excited. Okay. So we already did the 25th, right? Yeah. So we need tomorrow's because so, people aren't going to know. Okay. So the 26th is Pistachio Day. Oh, also, it is worth mentioning today is Fat Tuesday. 
fun. I had Popeyes, by that, the way, for that, that will Tuesday. Be, that will be the old thing. I think that was good. New Orleans so food. Ash Wednesday is is the 26th, if you're hearing this on Wednesday when we're And it actually it. does say Ash Wednesday on the calendar. Please and don't let people wipe your ashes off. Fucking don't wipe people's ashes off <laughs> in the state of Utah, you fucking idiots. Don't wipe your ash. Don't wipe your ash. I mean, just if people look like they have a smudge of dirt on their face, that's on purpose tomorrow. So tell a fairy tale day as well. Oh, that's perfect for Ash Wednesday. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> the 27th's got quite a bit. Chili day. Yes. Oh, I should Kahlua make. day. Yeah, I can have chili and a <laughs> bottle of Kahlua. Polar bear day. Oh, Retro day. Strawberry day. And toast day. Toast day? Got a lot, got a lot going on. Does there. that include French toast? No, but toast with strawberry jam is encouraged. There you go. And Not Kahlua. for you, though. And Kahlua. And Kahlua. While you're dressed in retro clothing. Okay, so uh, so, uh, Friday, the Friday the 20th would be Chocolate My toaster might be from day. the 80s. So. Wait, what? Chocolate souffle Is day. that Friday? Yep. So, baby. Floral design day. Public sleeping day. Ooh, that means we get to go to sleep in the park. Skip the straw day. <laughs> That's every day for me. Every day. Tartar sauce day. Gross. But that makes fish sense. and chips day. It, well, it's, it's, uh, it's Lent, so it's fish. Yep. And fish to- on Friday. Tooth Fairy Day. Yeah. That's actually a big filet of fish day for McDonald's and Arby's. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, Bree pointed this out the other day, the Arby's commercials are now centered on their fish sandwiches. Yep. It's got to be a Lent thing. Got to be a Lent Their thing. fish sandwiches are good, but... Okay, so. so then Saturday, the 29th, last day of the month, is Rare Disease Day. And Leap Year Day. Yeah, uh, so yes. Rare Disease Day, which is great, because we've got... It only comes of- once every five years. Yeah. Four. And, and the, we'll talk about the coronavirus in a minute, but the coronavirus is definitely say, yeah. not so rare. No. Okay, so let's see. Sunday the 1st. The cat hey, was, you know what? You need to talk into the tip of the mic. The, Sorry, just the, the tip. The cat, yes. Yeah, the cat was trying to play with the board because you saw the pretty lights. So Sunday the 1st is Dad Gum. That's Good Day. Oh, that's kind of like your day, Jeremy. Oh no, no, go back to Saturday. You can't skip on Saturday. No, I did Saturday. It was Rare Disease Day. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to let you get away without oh. talking about. It's the first soccer game of the season. Oh, it's not here. On leap year. It's an away day, on but it's day? on Saturday. Yeah. Okay. Does it count because it's on a leap year? It does. Finishers Medal Day. I have no idea what that is. That's for people to finish. Sure Everybody gets a medal. No. Only, no. finishers only, finishers. Yep, only finishers. Only finishers. <laughs> well, everyone gets a medal, but the finisher gets a better medal. Gotcha. Fruit compote day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I horse made, protection I day. made some cinnamon apples last night. Those were good. Minnesota day, because they need their own day, What, I what day? Minnesota day. Minnesota day. They don't have much. You got to give it to them. Peanut That's butter spam. lover's day. What? Peanut butter lover's day and pig day. Peanut butter and toast. That's good stuff. But so, uh, Monday the second, days, so. banana cream pie day. Yes. Old stuff day. I got old shit all so, I got old now. stuff. So, go to Savers and DI. Um, <laughs> read across America slash Dr. Seuss day. Sounds like a boring fucking day to me. And then next Tuesday is Anthem day. Ooh, cold cuts day. Yes. I want you to be happy day. <laughs> Shouldn't that, that be like every day? I want you why, to why is that here? just one day? I don't know. Mold wine day and soup it forward. Okay. Some of these days soup are, it forward? Soup it Some forward. of these days are stretches. And those days. are our national days for the upcoming week. That is bullshit. Man, you are that microphone is noisy. You were just like you were just like 
this board. Crazy. I should have grabbed it before because I kept hitting the back of the chair. I don't even know if that'll come across in post after I clean up the sound. We'll find out, um, listeners. We'll find out because I won't listen to it. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. I don't particularly care that much. It was a thing. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about this, but uh, it's election season, the primary presidential primary. Uh, which your vote will actually matter uh, because we've changed to an actual primary system, uh, is this next week, um, Super Tuesday, March 3rd. We're going to talk quite a bit that, about that with our, our guest. Um, I wanted to talk, like you said, um, special uh, disease day. What was it called? Rare disease. Rare, rare disease, disease day. day. So coronavirus, um, the this is not a, a the, rare the disease. Novid Novid coronavirus, which is yeah, the Novid. which Novid is the 19. one that was was uh, from Wuhan. I want to talk. I, uh, it's COVID actually. Oh. COVID, not Novid. Uh, I want. And it's COVID nineteen, isn't it? Yeah, Novel coronavirus is COVID nineteen. I think. Um, I want to talk about it because today uh, I got a letter as a Utah employer. That says the Utah Department of Health is actively monitoring the ongoing outbreak of novel coronavirus that began in China and has subsequently spread to several other countries, including the United States. Uh, the Utah Department of Health is coordinating closely with public health partners and medical care providers through the state and also with the CDC um, through uh, though the CDC considers novel coronavirus to be a serious public health concern based on current information, the immediate health risk to the general U.S. public is considered low. Uh, there's and it's like it's a long letter. I got it's, that same letter today. It's too. a three-page letter. Did you did you read it to yourself since you're your own employee? <laughs> I had a special meeting. <laughs> <laughs> did you tell yourself to stay home from work if you get sick? I did. Um, so it talks about the symptoms. It talks about who's at risk. Uh, it's not a joke, guys. The coronavirus. Now, it's not really in Utah. Um, they've investigated several cases that they thought might be. There are Utah folks that have been exposed to it on that cruise ship. They're still in quarantine in the United States now, I think, though. Um, but there are a lot of people that have died. Uh, the spread is pretty prolific, and actually Iran is one of the biggest problems right now. They're actually giving China quite a bit of credit because even though it sucks and their people are really mad, because they've been able to lock down so militarily their populace, they think that they've saved hundreds of thousands of lives. Yeah, well, I mean, they were the ones that released the virus from their super lab, so... Well, and we were talking about this before we started the show, uh, the Olympics. They actually came out and they told uh, Tokyo, you have three months to get this under control or we will. We're not going to put people there. Yeah. Or we will. And they said either postpone or flat out cancel the Olympics. So it's that serious. Yeah. It's a big deal. Well, I mean, because it's, it's uh, you, what you're talking about with the Olympics is flying in hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people from all over the world into one already very crowded epicenter. And if you have a virus outbreak, it's going to spread like wildfire across the planet. Yeah, because then everybody will go back to their home country with it. Yeah, not just athletes. Everyone else that, that comes to view and watch and participate. Um, so it's it's a big deal. Um, it's worth noting. I just thought it was interesting that I got that letter. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist believer. Like, I think most of that shit's stupid. Um, I think for a conspiracy theory to be truly credible, there has to be a lot of evidence um, and not like bullshit evidence, <laughs> not like flat earther evidence, but um, more realistic stuff. And, and I got to say, 
I've, I've heard conversations from people who have been in meetings with people who would know. Um, I've, uh, and that's just hearsay, but there are, there are other things that really suggest, I don't think that this is a weaponized virus, but that it came out of a lab is probably very realistic. Um, there is a super lab, um, a level four super lab in Wuhan, in Wuhan. <laughs> right next to the market where they believe patient zero got the virus, um, or where the big outbreak started. Um, and so most likely my thought would be, um, they were working on this virus, um, because they, they do a lot of virus tests. The CDC does it in their super labs. They test viruses that are in animals to see if they have human transmission capabilities and they try to develop vaccines for them ahead of them coming out. Uh, and they do it across the board, like smallpox exists in the CDC facilities, in the labs, uh, in Georgia and other places. Um, and there's this lab in China that, you know, and the Chinese government, while authoritarian, um, you know, when you have a billion people, it's really hard to lock certain shit down properly. So there's a good chance that that virus got out. Uh, and it may be man-created or man-engineered or, um, you know. It was the poor janitor. I've seen all those movies. I mean, it could have been. Like, so I'm not. And, and look, China is a communist state. And China controls news. And China controls what gets out. Uh, and And... When stuff comes out like this, uh, they're very tight-lipped, uh, and so it would not be far-fetched to think that's what happened, yeah. because they shut the shit down, uh, and there's you know people that that have spoken out and said, "Hey, this I was working on this thing in this place," uh, and so I don't think that's far-fetched to believe. Uh, but if you go look, you can find a lot of stuff either way out on the internet. Um, right. Stuff from crazy conspiracy sites that I wouldn't bother to look at. Uh, and then you can find plenty of evidence saying the opposite. But it's really hard to deny that that might have been something that happened from an accident in a super lab. So, I don't know. That's my conspiracy theory for the week. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you guys do anything interesting? Or the last week? I really didn't, by the way. So, B update 2020. This weekend it was back up in the 50s. I think it was 55 on Saturday. Oh, yeah. And then it dropped to like zero again? Yeah. But I actually had bees buzzing around the hive. Nice. So like, good. I'm in. That's a good sign. I, yeah, there was actually. Not, not likely to have a wasp attack this late in the season, so. Nope. So as long as the weather doesn't get too crazy, which I realize this is Utah, uh, I think we're going to be okay, and I think we're going to get a second season out of our bees. So to see them out flying around was big, big. So is that, at what point do you have to order new bees? Like, like the cutoff is within the next week or two. Oh, and so you're not going to do it. So, so they're gone. So if done. I lose them in the next month or two or whatever, yeah, I'm done for the season. So hopefully not. Sending out good bee juju to the universe that they'll make it through the season. Is the dog in here? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure the cats are playing behind the curtain. The cats are playing, but the dog's under the table okay. showing her bone. She's behaving. I just wanted to make sure because I thought she might go because there's like a lot of batting going <laughs> on and going I'm pretty on. sure we have all four animals in this room <laughs> and they're, the cats are playing behind the curtain batting at each other. Don't look at behind the curtain. So <laughs> it's, I mean, it's the Starship Bridge. I'm sorry. For those of you that don't know, there's there's a uh, a giant curtain in the studio that is uh, in the form of Starship Bridge. Uh, so, okay, bees are doing good. Yep, bees are doing well. Um, Jess, how's the cake business? Busy. It's very busy. Yep. Yep. You, you're making lots of cakes now? 
Uh, I am. You charge yes. an incredible no. uh, free rates, basically. Free rates, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty close, basically. right? Why don't yeah. you start charging an actual normal price for a cake? Um, probably because I really don't know what that is. So, uh, wouldn't be hard to find. Wouldn't be hard to find. I'm sure I could hop on like thumbtack or something and find out but yeah i don't want to uh i don't want to bore our listeners with cuban 2.0 but i I want some real input from you probably mostly jess because she's the only one that probably eats them um uh on cubans later because the contest is this week and we should do we should do our own like once a week each of us needs to eat like a utah food and come in and talk about it um yeah i have food anxiety jello and funeral potatoes those are utah foods fry sauce I mean, like Utah businesses. Come on. <laughs> I do eat. I do eat local food out of Utah. Chick Fil A. We're gonna go to so, Curry Curry Pizza, right? When I, it opens, I need to go to yeah. Curry Pizza. But it's opening by our work. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, um, their chicken masala pizza is amazing, and I just like to thank Sim Gill for introducing me to it because it was uh, awesome. Apparently, by the way, Slackwater has a really good chicken tikka pizza. Nice. Um, that place is really good, and they have a beer right, selection that rivals pizza. the Bayou. No, it's not. It's not, but it's really good. It's finally going to give life to that place by the mall that's been horrible. So have you decided where you're going to get your entry? No, that's why off mic we're going to talk about it. I need, I need some real <laughs> input uh, on where to go. Um, okay. So, so we talked about the election, uh, that's coming up on the third. And I did say Real plays their first game on Saturday. It's where they're playing, uh, Orlando, I think. Orlando. Orlando. We're probably going to lose. We'll see. It is Orlando. We've got a lot of injuries. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. It's the first game of the season. I don't, I don't know what to think with the new coach, a bunch of changes on the team and a bunch of people injured. Um, it's not does he really great. count as a new coach, though? Yeah, he does. He does. He's the head coach now. It's officially his team. Um, you know, it's and honestly, he's worked with most of these kids up through the academy system that are on the team. So uh, this is a real good time for him to have a shot. Um, but anyway, uh, there's some other events going on as well uh, coming up. Yes, there are. Um, let me see here. A uh, reminder that this weekend's raclette all you can eat is sold out, but buy your tickets for March 26th because it will be delicious. Um, also, so I only did a couple events just because we, ha- we have a, a long guest and we also have our famous Utah. So, um, I wish I would have paid better attention to this so I could have gotten somebody on to talk about this since we're like three years into this now. Um, <laughs> March 5th is Salt Con, the Spring Salt Con up at the Davis. I can talk about it. You should have gotten your tickets already because they're cheaper before, but if you like playing... It's still before. They still have, there's still time. Yeah, no, no, no. You can still get your tickets. They're just not as cheap as they were like a month ago. Gotcha. Um, it's, I, I can talk about it. I've talked about it before. Salt I just Con. mean like one of the organizers. I know I could have gotten on, so. Yeah. Which one? Um, Dan is his name. Dan? Oh, yeah. I could get Dale. Uh, so anyway, it's uh, a local convention, um, and it is not like a Comic-Con type convention. It is just playing games. So for three days, uh, it's in the Davis Convention Center. Yep, mm-hmm. the Dave, um, yep. 
Davis County Convention Center, uh, you go up and you play board games and they have people to teach you board games. They have literally hundreds, if not thousands at this point of board games, uh, everything from like shoots and ladder style game, uh, all the way up to super complex, like resource creation games to Dungeons and Dragons and card games. Um, and they used to have new card game developers bring yeah. in their stuff back in the day when I was involved with that, we, we would take our games that were being developed to SaltCon to have to people play them to yeah. get feedback. So that's really big for the local game producers. My roommate should go to this. Of which we have a really big scene. We have a really big local board game design scene here. And so there's mm-hmm. like a board game design guild here. Uh, and so... Uh, it's a really great event. It's great for a family. Uh, they, like I said, it's shoots and ladders up to everything else. So old games, new games, a bunch of games you probably never heard of. They'll teach you how to play them. It's a lot of fun. You can go for just a day. Um, if you're a super massive board game enthusiast, you probably already are going, but you could go all weekend, get a hotel up there. Um, you'll meet some people, uh, like-minded people that like to play board games. It'll be a fun experience for Does you. Does it say how many years this has been going on? I know they've been doing it quite a while. Like it's been going on for a long time. A million. Time. I mean, all the years. All the years. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll find out and interrupt Jess while she talks about the Perfect. next one. I only have one other event, which is also on March 5th at the um, Loveland Living Aquarium is the otter's 10th birthday <laughs> party. <laughs> so um, Oscar and Oliver and Otis are having a birthday party. So if you want to go hang out with some otters, that's cool. then you can do that on March 5th. Are they going to get out otter pops? Maybe. Because they should. They should. <laughs> uh, so they have they do a birthday festivities, and it's just with the price of it. Do you get so. otter, otter cake? Cake shaped like an otter? That'd be cute. Or cake made out of an otter? Oh, <laughs> I may not be so good. I think otter pops would be appropriate, though. That would be appropriate. SaltCon's been going on for eleven years since two thousand nine. Awesome. Um, started up at the University of Utah, and it's been at the Davis Conference Center for the last six years. So, um, pretty pretty sweet event. It's is really quite an amazing event. So, if you remember when we had the gaming convention, it's very similar. There are some vendors, but they're mostly local vendors. Um, so there's some, some exhibitors and stuff. Um, but, uh, it's, it's really all about playing board games. It's just meeting people, um, having a good time, playing some games. Um, obviously there'll be opportunities to buy games, uh, and game accessories. So I have one other event that I talked about last week. Um, that one of our former guests is going to be doing about talking about. Um, what a death doula is. Oh, that's right. Um, that's on the 28th. Um, uh, but uh, I don't remember where it's at. <laughs> I can't find the link. We talked so, about it last week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I didn't say where it was last week either, now that's that okay. I think about it. So, um, it will be linked. It's linked on our Facebook page. So. Yeah, and that that brings up a we don't we talk about this at the end of the show, but I think a lot of people probably turn it off about twenty minutes in. So, um, what I'd like to say now, twenty two and a half minutes in, is um, if you like what you listen to, sharing our episodes makes a big difference. But more than that, um, communicate with us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or um, our website even. 
Uh, there's a lot of stuff there. So when Jess says I'll post the link, she posts it on Twitter. She posts it on Facebook, um, sometimes on Instagram. Um, and it's always on the website by the time the episode goes up or within reason, uh, usually within a day or two of the episode going up. So it's a good resource for you to be able to see all the stuff that we talk about on the show. Uh, Jess does a pretty amazing job at writing some of that stuff up on the website. It's thenewutah.com in case you are wondering. Thanks. Um, so yeah, we're gonna, the, again, it's the end of the month for us. It's the last episode of February, uh, of February, uh, 2020. Uh, and so it's our famous shoot time. Um, so this, <laughs> what? Without an apostrophe. <laughs> I don't, don't worry about it. I don't understand. Don't worry about it. Famous Utah without an apostrophe. Yeah, there's no apostrophe. So? I put an apostrophe when I typed. Oh. <laughs> Jeremy's the oh. worst oh. the worst speller in the world. <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> well, the cat wants to control the board. The cat is trying to stand on the board and Whoa. control the knobs. <laughs> he really likes the lights. He's been like eyeballing them and he was like sitting on the board. Right almost. to pounce. Yeah, that could have been dangerous uh, to levels. Uh, anyway, so our famous Utah, and then we're going to talk um, pretty in-depth about the coming election. Um the primary with our guest, uh, Daisy Thomas, the former uh, head of the Utah Democratic Party. Um, and um, But first, we're going to talk about our famous Utahns, um, which, in a timely fashion, are actually tied to politics and elections in Utah. Um, and we chose... Go ahead. Time out. Oh, never mind. I'll just do it at the end. Okay. Sorry. Sure? I forgot something in events. Yeah, but I'll do it at the end. Okay. Um, so, uh, we're doing two, um, not because one wasn't good enough, but because Jeremy suggested one after we had decided on the other, uh, and I didn't know who she was, <laughs> so I didn't think she was famous enough to get her own segment. Uh, that would be Seraph, Seraph Young, mm-hmm. uh, but the one that deserves her own segment is Martha Hughes Cannon, who is way more impressive, by the way, if you ask me. Um, so let's start with the least impressive of the two. <laughs> Seraph. Seraph Young. So one of the things that a lot of people maybe don't realize about Utah is Utah was actually one of, if not the first state to allow women to vote. uh, So, yeah, in doing the research, it was Utah and Wyoming basically at the same time. Uh Utah or Wyoming had actually put in three weeks earlier. However, their general election wasn't for another like month. Yeah. So So, back then. So but Utah and and Wyoming really kind of led the way, which is interesting. Uh, in women's women's yeah. rights and women's suffrage. Based off the way things are now, you kind of find that puzzling. Yeah. Uh, so um, in 1870, was that the year? February 14th, so Valentine's Day. Yeah, so women, women in Utah had the right to vote. Uh, and Seraph Young, you, know, you can talk about her. <laughs> so so Seraph Young uh, ended up being the first woman to vote. She was a school teacher. Uh, and it just so happened that she was the first one at the polls that day. I don't know if I, I don't know if she meant to be. I don't think she did, but uh, she ended up being the first one at the polls. So she was actually the first person in the first woman in the United States to vote. That's pretty impressive. That is. Bree was watching. Um, Bree's been watching Little House on the Prairie. Um, that's the show she's been tied to, and they did a a, a few episodes about uh, women's right to vote and women's equality. 
Uh, and it was very interesting seeing, like, because that when was that show produced? Like the seventies, sixties, seventies, and into the eighties, I think. Like late, Mo- mostly the eighties, I think. Um, it's like mostly I Gilbert's a only a little right bit older than us, and she was she was like six or seven when when she they was started it. it. So yeah, late seventies into the eighties. Well, and then they had some of that later stuff that was. Not really knock up, but it's where the the blind girl is older and runs the school and Mary. Oh yeah, she's she's. Are you into that part now where Mary's running That's, the blind school? Well, she's not anymore. Now she's moved beyond that. Now her husband's a lawyer because he can see again. Jeez. Oh, see, yeah, it was. Uh, I'm, I'm going off memory here. I I haven't watched. It, it was mostly 70, 74 through eighty three was the run. Okay, so season nine ended in eighty three, so it was mostly in the seventies. Uh, that was Minnesota. I'm at the end of season eight right now. How many seasons are there? Nine. Oh, so you're almost uh, done. Yeah. So that, but it was just interesting to kind of see that. So Utah, this is the, what's really crazy is Utah had the first woman voter, uh, and we had the right to vote before. Well, and understood. then like, and then like Utah's vote ended prohibition. Yeah. So like, we've got some on one hand really cool things, but it's like, what the hell happened from then till now? Well, she, so she was the, there's not a lot known about her, but she was the grand niece of uh, Brigham Young. And she came over and what I thought was cool about her is that she's actually buried in the Arlington National Cemetery. Oh, that's right. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. That's right. Because she, she, her husband that she married was a veteran, a Civil War veteran. Uh, and then he, his family was from New York and he became ill. So they went back to New York and unfortunately he suffered a long time with different medical issues due to the war, blind blindness, spinal disease, other sorts of things. Uh, so she, he was he was buried in Arlington, and then when she passed away a few years later, she was buried next to him. Yep. Okay, so now let's talk about. Um, <laughs> well, because I mean, that's like, look, being the first woman to cast a ballot is a huge thing, but it's also but she, always, oh, she also did it accidentally. Yeah, it's also kind of like this. So. It it did say in the article that that she was super famous for a very short time because she she made national news, oh, yeah. oh, local yeah. news. But then it, it it's like that five seconds of fame, right? Because she's the first woman to vote, but she really didn't. She just cast a ballot. Like it was just right. like circumstance, essentially. It's like having the first baby born in the millennium, right? Like, eh, okay, but then there was like twelve other babies right after that, so it's not that special. <laughs> um. That's a weird comparison. Um, so at one time, and the reason why I b- brought up Seraph Young is at one time th- she was in the running for this statue that Martha Hughes Cannon got. Yeah. So that's kind of where the that's where that whole connection comes from, and that's why I saw her is probably five six years ago. They were they were yeah. I was wondering how you found her name. Yeah. They, um, they were thinking of Seraph to be the statue that's. Do you know her personally? Did she say you could call her by her first name? Seraph. Miss Young. How's that? How do you know it was a miss? Not a missus. Ms. Or a Ms. Because she was married to Seth Ford. So technically, she would be Mrs. Ford. Mrs. Ford Young. Mrs. Young Ford. Mrs. Young Ford. <laughs> Does it matter? No. She's I don't been think dead so. for 100 plus years, probably. <laughs> Not point. yet. Close, though. Close. <laughs> uh, so, 12 okay. more years. Anyway, okay. Speaking of that statue, so the statue um, in the U.S. Congress uh, in the Capitol building in the the United States, every state gets two statues. uh, And they're big, 
and they're all over the place, all over the capital. Um, and Utah, for the longest time, have had well, there's a, there's Statue Hall that has like a bunch of them. One of e- one for each state, doesn't it? Uh, and then the so. rest of them are scattered around. They're all over the place. So we've only had Brigham Young, isn't it? Nope. So oh, Philo T. Farnsworth. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's who's uh, moving back. And Brigham Young. That's right. Uh, and the statue of Brigham Young was supposed to be at at the U, and instead it's the Capitol. That's right. They don't want it at the U. So we've got, yeah, they needed a BYU instead. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so the Utah State Legislature decided, um, was it last year, two years ago, three years, two ago, years ago? I don't know. Some time ago to change the statue that's up there and remove Philo T. Farnsworth, who, if you remember from last month's Famous Utah episode, we, we talked at length about, uh, and instead install Martha Hughes Cannon. So Martha Hughes Cannon is not someone maybe a lot of people knew about uh, early on until this stuff started happening, um, but we're going to talk about her and her importance in the role of uh, Utah and women in politics and the women's rights movements, because she's had a huge hand in a lot of stuff. And just this last month here at the state capitol, they've done a lot of information about this. They talked about Seraph Young. They talked about Martha Hughes Cannon. So it's it's been a big deal locally. That's kind of... Why we chose these? Ladies. That's why they're famous Utahns. That's right. So Martha Hughes Cannon, um, also known <laughs> to her friends as Maddie, uh, is what she went by. She was born um, not an American citizen, by the way. She was an immigrant. Uh, she was born July first, eighteen fifty-seven. In how do you say that? Land in Wales. Dude, in Wales. Land, dude, no Wales. In in Wales. Wales. What, I wouldn't try and pronounce it because all their letters are pronounced <laughs> weird. Which, by the way, Wales is part of England, basically. Yep. United Kingdom, I guess, technically. You're in Utah. You need to call it Wells. 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 Yeah. Well, Ales. It's from Wales. Wales. Uh, anyway, so she was born. <laughs> so, but at the, this is interesting. So the Mormon church started in uh, 1830, roughly. I think that's when it became an actual thing in New York or whatever. Um, so in 1857, she's born, and right about the time that she's born, so this is like 25, 26 years after the church is formed. Her parents in Wales have already been converted or in the process of being converted to Mormonism. Mm -hmm. At the age of three, they decide we need to be closer to our people. Let's go to America. So they hop on a boat, sail to New York. Sail is. Their family joined in the church in 1861. Yeah, but they were already. That's why they moved to to America. Be part of the. They were. Yeah. New conversation. Sorry, I read that weird. (laughs) That's yeah, good. so they, they move to Utah, uh, and then um, ultimately they have to stay in New York and make some money. Uh, and so in 1860, they move here, but then after a little while, they make a trek across the country to Utah. In which her younger sister died, by the way. On yeah, so she had an older sister, and then they had a young sister in the U.S., and she died on the way of the trek. And then her dad ultimately died, like, what, like three days after they got to Utah Within three days of arriving in Salt Lake Valley. See, and that's a bummer because you can't just go back home because it took you like a year to get there. And so I just want to put that in perspective. This is like 18, what time? 70s. Well, between 1860 and 1870s, so. I was trying to grab a date. When did they actually get to Utah? Um, Around 1862-ish. 
That's when they yeah, so, got to Utah. Yeah. So she is at that point, what? Five. Uh, five. <laughs> and she's lost a sister, which isn't necessarily uncommon, but she's also lost her father. So now you have a mom, a single mom with two kids, uh, an older daughter and a younger daughter uh, in Utah. And that's it. No other family. Just her. Just her and the two girls. And this is where it gets really amazing to me. Um, so uh, Elizabeth is the mom's name, right? Because she married the other guy um, like a year later. So she marries this other dude um, that's got like four sons. Um, and But amongst all this craziness, she manages to do really well in school. Right. Well, she wanted to. She wanted to go to medical school, and uh, she ended up going to University of Deseret, which is now the U of U, at age sixteen. Yeah. So at fourteen, she starts working as a typesetter for the Deseret News. The Deseret News has been around that, <laughs> that damn long. long. Yep. It's important to know, right? So because part of her being a typesetter at the Deseret News. She was reading a lot of political stuff and she was reading a, a lot of things and kind of became engaged and said, Hey, I want to make sure and go to college. So she goes to college to what is now the University of Utah. Right. Uh, where she got her pre, her pre med requirements. And then she went to Michigan, University of Michigan in 1880. I got a degree in pharma. Two years. So two years she got a medical degree from the University of Michigan. So she graduates from University of Michigan at age twenty three. And and I wanna I wanna I wanna point this out. we're still talking in the late eighteen hundreds here. Like this is eighteen eighty. Eighteen eighty when she's graduate like getting accepted into the University of Michigan is a huge deal for women. There's only a couple schools in the nation, that's one of them that accept both men and women for medical school to be a doctor. She had four degrees by the time she was 25 including once and so so after she graduates from the University of Michigan she does her postgraduate at the University of Pennsylvania yeah, she does pharmaceutical pharmaceutical stuff where and, she is the only women woman in a class of 75 students and then she does a uh, she goes to the National School of Oratory and learns public speaking as well Mm-hmm. Like this is all before she's twenty five. Yeah, <laughs> like Rad. this is this is a very intelligent woman that had this weird, like crazy life leading up to this, and she's somehow like Philo. She's, she's just got to be a total fucking genius to be competing at these levels at you know as a woman because as a woman in the 1800s you didn't have rights you weren't treated the same as a man you, you were seen as, as educated yeah, you yeah. were seen as a as, a, as dumber but um, also as but also think back to the ladies literary club that started in the late 1800s so educated and they were it was all by educated women so i bet she was a part of it maybe so, well I, I was trying to find out i don't know if i said that last week but so after her education's done, so at 25, she comes back to the state of Utah, and she becomes the first resident of resident Deseret physician. Hospital. Yeah, resident yeah. physician at Deseret Hospital. At the woman-run Deseret Hospital. Um, and and at this point, she falls in love with uh, uh, Angus Cannon. I, I debate whether she falls in love. She meets and is... Secretly married. Uh, yeah. Well, look. Did she have a bun in the oven? Nope. No. It was during the height of the National Anti-Polygamy Movement. She's wife number four. Okay, but but this is the thing. Why would you debate falls in love? She's a smart woman. And her faith her faith says, right. like, polygamy is okay, right? Like right. The faith oh, is, so I'm saying he, he's, he's, a, he's a general authority. Right. Why wouldn't you marry him? 
well, it's like what as your an educated says. woman too. But, but your but your religion says this. It's not like polygamy today, where you have these polygamous communes right. and dudes are marrying fourteen year old girls who've grown up and know nothing but that. Right. That was not her upbringing. While she was Mormon, she was born in another country. She traveled across the U.S. Not in a giant Mormon trek. Uh, her her little sister died. Her dad died. And yet she decides to marry into polygamy. Not only marry into it, she fully supports it. And this is evidenced by basically what happened with, with all these kids. So this is right around the time when she marries this guy that. Well, so, so the, so we're trying to become a state. Utah's trying to become a state. In order to become a state, uh, they've got to outlaw and completely abolish the, these plural marriages. So the federal government is really cracking down. And this is the time where you see most of the general authorities and members of the church go to prison. Yeah. Well, and this is where, you know, this is where Utah actually gets stripped. Women get stripped from the right to vote because of the polygamy thing uh, in this time frame. So in 1870, we start voting. And by uh, 1877, there's the act. Is it called the Edmonds Tucker Act? Mm-hmm. Basically makes it so women can't vote again. Um, has to do with a bunch of anti-polygamy stuff. But during this time frame, Martha Hughes Cannon has to flee Utah. Well, so yeah, so they get married in 80, 1884. July eighteen eighty five, her husband is arrested, and she's pregnant. So there's no way for her to. Yeah, and what and what they're doing at the time with people that are pregnant is trying to get them to testify, right? Because Utah has said the church has said polygamy is no good. We don't support polygamy. Utah to become a state has said we don't. We're, we're outlawing polygamy, and the federal government saying, "No, it's still going on. The church still supports it fully." Here's evidence: this woman's pregnant right. by a man that's been married three times, so she doesn't want to testify against him, and she actually goes back to England. Right. So first she flees to Grantsville, and she's back and forth for Grantsville for two years, and then finally she goes back to the British Isles to, to because they're hounding her. Trying to get her to to appear to in testify. court against her yeah. so Well, she, not only her husband, but her obstetric patients as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. And so that kind of passes. Uh, the daughter is born in England. She comes back to Utah. Um, he did serve six months, by the way, for cohabitation. And and, and a, they had a warrant out for her, by the way. Yeah. So she comes back to Utah. She opens up a nursing school uh, and a practice. Gets pregnant by him again and has to flee to San Francisco for the same reason. <laughs> so now she's got a daughter and a son by this guy and has fled to England and fled to San Francisco. Um, and so um, then uh, in 1896, um, a lot of stuff starts to happen. So uh, Utah gets the women get the right to vote in Utah again. Utah is becoming a state. Um and Utah has to basically create the Utah State Constitution, um, fill the legislative bodies, and so all the parties are asking people to be candidates. So they're going out and, and, and they're saying, hey, you would be good to run in this spot. So she ends up actually getting asked by the Democratic Party to run for a congressional district. Hey, you missed in 1889 when the Utah Women's Suffrage Association asked her to deliver an address, and she did it at Assembly Hall on Temple Square. And she said, no privileged class, either of sex, wealth, or descent, should be allowed to arise or exist. All persons should have the same legal right to be equal of every other if they can. 
Yeah. And now we can fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to actually go back and read some of her quotes that I that I found because she's Perfect. she's she was like super smart. Um. So yeah, so she gets asked to run for the Democratic seat uh, in her district. 1896, by the way, is the year. And and uh, incidentally, the Republican Party asks her husband to run. Now it's not them running head to head. There are a ton of candidates running for this, these newly formed congressional districts in the Utah state legislative body. Uh, and she ends up winning. She beats her husband and a bunch of others in a race and wins and becomes the first female senator in the U.S. for anybody. So not only is Utah the first to cast a vote from a woman, they're the first to have an elected official that's a woman, a state legislative official that's a woman. That's a huge deal. And she only served four years. Well, she was also the first woman in Salt Lake City to register to vote. And she did a ton of shit in four years. She was responsible for the Utah Health Department being created. Um, and there were talks of her running for U.S. Congress or U.S. Senate. Uh, but then she got pregnant again. <laughs> and by by uh, by her husband, the, the guy who had married three other women before her. Which, by the way, he's 23 years older. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, he's way old. He's way old. So she has her third baby, and that basically ruins her political career uh, because she's essentially forced to flee again uh, because still at the federal level, they're trying to go after Utah and prove that the church is supporting polygamy. Uh, and so she flees with this kid um, and moves never to, goes back to, yeah. to the political life. And she moves to California. Uh, yeah, so she moved to California. She had come back and forth from California uh, to Utah quite a few times, but she had opened up a practice and set up a life because her other kid was from California. She wanted to, to stay there. Um, and the end of her life kind of is Peter's out and is really sad, actually, because her youngest kid dies. Whatever. She was vice president of American Congress for tuberculosis. Well, it makes sense because that's what her daughter died of is, is TB. Uh, and after that, um, basically, she was her her second child. Maybe it was her first child said she never really got over losing her youngest. And the youngest was like in the early 20s when she died, Gwendolyn. I think was like 24 when she died or something. Mm -hmm. She never really got over that and uh, ended up just kind of dying in a sad, alone sort of situation. So it was uh, really disappointing the way her life ended and how much potential she but, had. And she was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, and then I, one thing that I found a little strange was at her funeral, uh, one of her last requests was to burn all of her diary pages. So as per her request, they burned all of her diaries. It would be interesting. To, it would really be interesting to hear what those diaries or read what those diaries said. Um, but She's I, in the Salt Lake Cemetery, by the way. She had, um, so she passed away in 1932. She was, what, 63, I think? Something like that. Um, 57 to 32. I don't remember what that was. Um, but I wanted to read a few quotes um, that I think were were powerful because she was she was so into women's rights in in a time when I mean that was that was an important thing. But we're still fighting some of those same battles today. Um, but this is this is one of the things that she said. You give me a woman who thinks about something besides cook stoves and wash tubs and baby flannels, and I'll show you nine times out of ten a successful mother. So what she's saying is, working moms that don't give a shit about 
those things like cooking and washing clothes are just as good mothers as, as everyone else, if not better. Um, and then, um, this was kind of explaining her philosophy on life. She said, let us not waste our talents in the cauldrons of modern nothingness, but strive to become women of intellect of, and endeavor to do some good while we live in this pro- protracted gleam called life. So basically she said, why are we letting women just sit there and, you know, submit themselves to just taking care of kids? Not that that's horrible, but women should be open to become smart and do great things. Uh, and I think she was able to accomplish that. I mean, if you look at the things that she did through her life and through her career, what's just really crazy is she was super, she had this amazing belief in the Mormon religion uh, and was fine marrying a dude and having multiple children with this guy. And I don't think that her having multiple children with this guy was just because she thought she was going to get somewhere because he was an elder in the church. Like, I don't think that was part of nope. it. Cause well, you know, she proved, she proved that you can do all of these things. You can be intelligent. You can have a degree. You can do all these things. You can still be a mother. Yeah. And you can still have faith. Right. And, and you can believe in some crazy religion that was 25 years old when you were born. <laughs> but she was ab, I, I, I was like, I knew why she was a statue. I didn't realize when I started researching how incredible of a person she was. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just really quite amazing that there is not more known about her. She's the kind of person that makes me proud to be another woman just by association. Bree, defender of all that is woman. <laughs> if you <laughs> see, want, see, you can actually read the letters between her and Angus. They are published. So, oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, oh, I just lost the page. Hold on. <laughs> the wrong button um it's called letters from exile the correspondence of martha hughes cannon and angus m cannon oh nice from when she was gone (sighs) but yeah she was she was really impressive i i uh i was really blown away when i when i was doing research on her at, at all the things that she did over her life and her statue should be in the capital this year so which is awesome which is awesome and as much as i think follow t farnsworth is awesome she is a worthy replacement. I Agreed. think Philo should probably replace Brigham Young, but that's hmm. just my opinion. I don't Donnie think he Osmond was. Can. Donnie Osmond. He's probably better. I don't think Brigham Young was a great person. No. I don't he has care. friends with Porter Rockwell. We all know how that turned out. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, sometimes when you need someone gone, you got to have bad people in your life. Not my ancestors. <laughs> well, they were murderers. What do you want? <laughs> Ugh. What do you want, Jess? You're a murderer at heart. Deep in your roots lies murder. I guess. I don't... Deep in my roots lies probably a bunch of racism is all I can figure. I'm like a mutt from America. I'm a, <laughs> I traced back revolutionary war fighters. So, like, I'm American, as American gets probably. Not Native American, though. None of that in my blood. Which is funny because my mom thinks that we're like, <laughs> maybe she get her one of those tests. For She's like, your great great grandma was like full blooded Cherokee. I'm like, no, she wasn't. You fucking liar! I'm, look, there's no Native American blood in my body. There's some in mine. There's a lot in yours. You're fucking Native American and Irish. <laughs> well, the Irish. It's thing, an awesome combination. <laughs> Native American, Spanish, and Irish. Like, it's pretty straightforward lineage, except for the Irish. So basically Mexican and Irish. Yeah. Yeah. I'm about as Scottish as you get. 
Except you live in America. I know. So uh, what about you, Jeremy? Scandinavian Italian. all the way? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. He's, he's, got, he's got all of Vino skin. He does. Italian, all. Well, we are happy to be joined by uh, Daisy Thomas, a former Democratic chair, uh, former head, I guess, of the Democratic Party, right? Former, yeah. Yeah. How are you, Daisy? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, except for, like, I'm like... Um, Ron Burgundy, when there's something on my sheet <laughs> in the intro piece, read anything. I read anything. So fuck you, San Diego. I think is, <laughs> is Democratic chairhead was what it what it says on here. That should which, have been my title, chairhead. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So I just read the whole thing, and I'm like, that is not what she was. <laughs> yeah. Cat herder, head of the chair. Yeah. Head of the chair. Uh, so yeah, you were head of the the Democratic Party here in the state of Utah for a little while, yeah. Yeah, from 2017 to 2019. And uh, how? I, I'm just going to come out of the gate. We'll get back to your story in a little bit. Um, but how is it running the Democratic Party in one of the most ridiculously conservative <laughs> states in, in the union? Um, it was amazingly awesome and insane at the same time like there's no way to describe it and emotional roller coaster is easy um the best way to put it i guess you know there's a lot at stake right now and unfortunately politics are ugly and people are nasty and we're being led by someone who's incredibly nasty so you know leadership matters and that's why i'm focusing where i'm focusing (sighs) I agree. So uh, what are you focusing on? I'm spending a lot of my time um, uh, on the Bernie Sanders campaign here in Utah, uh, just trying to make sure that people are trained and organized and ready to knock on doors and call their neighbors and really explain why they support Bernie Sanders. This is all about a grassroots movement. You know, this is about people who haven't felt like they've had a say in a really long time. That's why I got involved in the party structure in the first place. I showed up here in Utah in 2015 as a Bernie Sanders fan already. And um, I got involved on the local level. I was at the March uh, 2016 caucus night and it was madness. That might, that, be, that might be the single most insane Democratic primary ever. It was. And you know, I appreciate all of the volunteers who were stunned with the turnout and were trying their best. And there was just so much disorganization and chaos. And I was like, I'm going to help. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do all these things for the party. And so I got really involved, had all these positions and I decided to run for chair after we, you know, we knew we had to we had to do something. And I thought, you know, the structure is the best organizing tool we have. It just, it needs, it needs workers. It needs people who are going to show up and do the work. And it's, it's a lot of really, it's not glamorous work. (laughs) It's calling people and trying to make sure that you have that communication going. So to back up just a little bit, you say you came to Utah. Where were you born? Where did you come from? I'm originally from Chicago. Chicago? Yeah. I lived, okay. I lived there for a number of years, and then I moved to Florida, and I, I went to the University of Florida. Um, I lived in Gainesville for a number of years. Did, did you study, like, political science or anything like that, or? I have my degree in religion. Oh. 
Okay. That's a great awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I I love it. Just trying to make connections here. So. Oh, for sure. Well, so I'm I'm curious. When were you born? Like what month? November. (gasps) Me too. So Valentine's baby. Yes. Okay. This is an ongoing conversation (laughs) with every guest. I just have to establish (laughs) when you were conceived is the only thing. Oh, for sure. Definitely a Valentine's baby. Absolutely. Brie is a Valentine's baby too, but it was a laboratory. I wasn't a Valentine's baby. (laughs) There was no lovemaking involved in my conception. I don't know. Your your biological father probably felt a little like lovemaking, you know, producing the semen, so... (laughs) She's, she's a test, test she's a baby. test tube baby. She's one of Utah's first test tube babies. <laughs> cool. For <Sorry>. real. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying, maybe your mom, like around Valentine's Day, she's like, I want a kid. No. So I'm gonna She tried lots before me and lots after me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just happened. Okay. So, so Chicago, Florida. Okay. Then what? My husband and I oh, I got married in Flor- in Gainesville. And, in Florida. Yeah. And you know, we raised our kid, our two oldest there for a long time and we um moved to California, Southern mm-hmm. California, because we like we are gonna go to, you know, Southern California and live the dream and the exact opposite The exact opposite of Florida of, in every way, shape and form. Yeah. <laughs> and when we got there we were very dissatisfied with where we were and it was it was not where we wanted to raise a family, so mm-hmm. we... Um, what part of California were you in? We were in Irvine, mm-hmm. um, which it was, it's a lovely area, but for us, it didn't feel as organic as we wanted. We wanted right. a more family-friendly area. Was it to, work that moved you around, or you just... Yeah. My husband's a, a tech writer, and so he gets transferred around. And, oh, gotcha. And we've been here for, uh, you know, since 2015. So what brought you here? Same thing, work? Same thing, work. Just work. Yeah. So if he if he needs to leave now, you're just gonna leave the state of Utah high and dry. Or uh... well, we have our you know our son is a freshman at the U, and our daughter is a senior at school. So and, you've kind of put some yeah. some roots down for a few more. So years. So if he needs yeah. to go, he might be going on his own this time. <laughs> <laughs> he might try to just find more work here. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I didn't think you were going to ask that kind of question. <laughs> Jeremy's daughter's a freshman at the U, and I, yep. my daughter is transferring as a junior next year. So, oh, fantastic! You like the U? Yeah, we do. Yeah. No, I don't. I love Not the U. <laughs> you went there. I hope you do. <laughs> So, okay, so let's, let's get back to, I, I actually want to get back to, uh, structure, uh, of, of the Democratic Party in the state of Utah, cause I've kind of harped on this for the last, you know, we've been in this podcast for almost four years now, uh, and I've harped on this quite a bit that, um, you know, especially in the general election last time, the, the, caucus is what actually determined things. It was funny because this year's a bit different, right? So there was an actual primary ballot that went out uh, and it was cast, but the caucuses was like a piece of paper you circled a name on. And like people went there thinking they were voting in a primary and ignored the gymnasiums at these elementary schools that had 30 people in them that were there for the actual caucus. And if thought that, were, yeah, <laughs> depending and, upon where you were. And thought they were just there for voting, and they were standing in huge lines, and that is not how things were done. No, Four exactly. years ago, three <laughs> years ago. Exactly. So let's talk about how that has, has changed now. Also, that's crazy. It's been that long already. Yeah. That, like, chaotic night. 
Yeah. Absolutely. That's it, weird. It seems like a yeah. lifetime ago. Yeah, it's ago. not quite three years, right? Because since then we have now changed when we do the primary voting so that it's um, relevant. Absolutely. And <laughs> I believe it was Representative Patrice Arendt who got it changed from a caucus to a presidential primary. And that way the, it's state-funded. It's not on the parties to have to worry about running it, and that's huge. That's that's the you know main reason. It's otherwise you know, these state parties are volunteer run, and the Democratic Party doesn't get a lot. And the of money. Republicans are way more organized than us. Well, they also have a lot more money. It's because yeah. they have the Relief Society behind but them. That's, <laughs> and that's one of the things I talked about <laughs> post last election. You know. That we Utah wasn't alone. Utah is not alone in how they used to run things. And uh, Hillary's campaign sat there for you know basically eight years of Obama's administration, donating the max amount allowed to state-run parties. Uh, and then when it was time for her to be elected, those state-run parties are like, well, she's given us thousands of dollars over the last few years, and Sanders is not. And we won't get into the whole. DNC and and that debacle, but that weighs heavily on people that are actually casting those votes then uh, out of the caucus. Like this person supported us for you know eight years, so we need to give support back to them sometimes. So I, I just saw that happening last election cycle. Sure, absolutely. There's always you know the people that you're loyal to because you've worked with them, you've had, you've established a relationship, you know how it's going to work with them. And having other new people come in and try to uh, lead the same group is always going to have hiccups and there's always going to be butting of heads. But at the end of the day, we have one goal is to stop Donald Trump. You know, we do not want to have a, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we don't want to have a second term with him uh, uh, leading this country. We've seen the, the Republican Party is okay with uh, this totalitarian rule. And I, on the Democrat side, I'm honestly shocked that Bloomberg is doing as well as he is because I do not believe you can buy an election. I think it's horrendous that... Are you sure? Because he's, he's fucking trying, he's trying in the state of Utah at the very least. We were just talking that before you got here because like, I had three pieces of mail in one day from his campaign. I can't turn on the TV, the internet, or the radio without seeing a Bloomberg ad And right I just now. saw a brand new billboard, you know, the electronic ones that they can change all the time. It wasn't there yesterday and the ad was there today. But sure. I, I will say this is what people in Ohio feel like the entire election cycle. Because they get bombarded with political ads in those those swing states. Oh, thank goodness we it's, don't. Do that. <laughs> like, if you, seriously, if you've ever been there during an election cycle, a general election cycle, it's ridiculous. Like I've been to some of those states, like Iowa and and uh, Ohio and New Hampshire during election season, and it is everything you watch. There aren't. There's not car ads. There's not ads for Doritos. It's political ads. Growing up in Iowa, I remember that. That's all it is. Like. Everything, everywhere, like the back of pizza boxes. Like, I mean, everything you could think of, people had their stupid political... And that's that's yeah. what Bloomberg's doing, is trying to... Since you're still involved in this, have you seen a shift from the last cycle to now being part of the... the being the chair... the, the chair head? <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're going to call it. Uh, but being in charge there, and now we're back into this other election cycle... Are you seeing a shift in Utahns and what they're wanting? 
Um, I haven't, but, um, you know, I, I have focused very much on the grassroots and trying to organize, um, constituents who have really not been included in the conversation for a long time and seeing where we intersect. And there's quite a few places. And that is where I've continued to stay, remain my focus because someone has to, uh, be those voices. Like we have to elevate where we can't, we see isn't happening. Um, I feel like that's a, um, that's a social responsibility and making sure that, uh, you know, the, the tribal nations here still have a say at, uh, at any level is really important to me. I make sure that any event that I'm going to speak at, I try to, I, I try to, you know, thank the lands and make sure that we're recognizing that, you know, at the end of the day, we're still doing all of this on stolen land. Um, we're telling these people how to run their lives, basically. And, you know, I think Sanders, at the end of the day, is the best candidate for tribal sovereignty. I think he really does take a a a, a, a lead from nations in ways that I don't know how many other candidates will have the time to focus um, and that's just my personal opinion on it. I feel like supporting him through a couple, like however long you've been supporting him, you probably see a shift in that and that people are saying, Hey, you need to, you know, this needs to be of importance to you. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that he, uh, his record for over 30 years now has been consistency. And when I volunteered on the 2016 campaign, you know, our, our training was, you know, we are representing the campaign and therefore we're representing Bernie Sanders and it was carry ourselves with consistency, honesty and integrity because that is what this man stands for. And that is exactly what we need in a leader. We need someone who other nations are going to be like, yes, America is going to catch back up to us because why are we falling so far behind? I thought we were supposed to be the greatest nation in the world. You know, I grew up in America. I grew up believing in the American dream. And I went to public school, but I went to public magnet school. And, you know, it was a little different um, as I was exposed to things that a lot of kids are not being exposed to in public schools. They weren't being exposed to back in the 80s or 90s, and they're still not being exposed to it. It's getting worse. You know, our education system is crumbling and our teachers need help. We need mental help everywhere. And, you know, I mean, there's just so much that we could fix and so much we can focus on and we can make this better for the next generations. But we're not going to be even getting to that point if we have Trump in office. And honestly, I think Bernie Sanders is the only person on the ticket who can beat him in the general election. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about that since we're 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 talking a lot about Bernie. Um so one of the things that was really impressive with Bernie during the last election cycle is he came out of nowhere. I remember his announcement speech and everyone kind of thought it was a joke cuz Hillary's kind of the foregone collusion, conclusion uh and <laughs> <laughs> and Bernie comes out and he looks disheveled and says, I'm going to run for president. I got a lot of work to do and just leaves. Like it was the craziest announcement ever. But what he was able to do was really energize this crazy youth population. Something that, you know, that's, that's probably the, the most disenfranchised set of voters in, in the nation's history over, the, over the course of history is the youth. They don't go out and vote because they don't feel like their vote matters or that their opinion counts. And somehow, and we saw it on those caucus days, the the sheer turnout of youth 
Uh, and then what was super discouraging, and I think part of why Hillary struggled uh, in the general election was when all that came out from the DNC basically pushing Bernie aside and trying to prop up Hillary, uh, when all that stuff became public, I think it disenfranchised a lot of those youth, youth voters again. I mean, you, you saw it in turnouts in the general. So the question is, is he able to continue to energize the youth four years later after having that big failure uh, last election cycle? I think as long as there's no uh, tomfoolery at the July convention. Boy, I sure hope there's not any of that crap. You know, I mean, anymore. honestly, it is really important that people are really staying on top of what's going on on the local level and the local level goes to the national level. And that there is a huge disconnect between voters, voters who identify as Democrats, voters who identify as Democrats who are involved in the Democratic Party structure, voters who understand that there, there are certain roles that are the ones that vote to send people to the DNC as their representatives. And those people... Um, I don't know are always if they're always voting in our best interests. You they're know? not. They're not. It's very clear that, like, especially in the superdelegate realm, they're not. They're they're not always voting that way, and their votes count for way more <laughs> than a regular delegate. Uh, and they're not they're not even necessarily voted on. They're picked, right? A lot of superdelegates right. in a lot of states. A lot of them are are elected, um, but a lot of them are selected by a certain member, like the chair of the Democratic yeah. National Committee. He has a number of the head chair. Yeah, the, the super head chair. <laughs> the head chair head. <laughs> yeah, um, he has a number of them, and he makes sure, you know, it's all about who who you're picking for your team, right? And who's going to go to bat for you, and who's going to make sure that in these meetings, your agenda is what's getting through, and you're, that is, that's how this works. It's a, it's politics. That's how politics works, yeah. That's, and that's all this, is. I mean, that it's not, it's not, Nothing. It's a not, I'm sorry. It's not. It's not nothing. Anything new. It's just um, how the world works, and it, it's unfortunate, and it's gross at times, and it's sad that so many people with negative agendas have positions where they could really make a difference, but opt not to because they don't want to give up their own seat at the table. You know. So it. Yeah, people are really afraid of that. Um, so you think that that Bernie will still be able to pull the youth vote? I do, absolutely. And pull them. It's not just pulling the youth vote. It's actually getting youth to the polls. That's that's the, the critical piece because there's lots of people that can win favor with young America. And when I say young America, I mean under 30. Like that 18 to 30-year-old range doesn't go out and vote very often. Uh, right. And so is he able to get them to go out and vote? He is because he includes them. He is listening to their voices now. And I think that that's a, a big problem and why I think this new generation, generation, is it Z? Generation craziness? The newest one. <laughs> I don't know. So my oldest is 18. And like I said earlier, and um, his generation's really involved politically. They're very much aware. They're always watching TV or, or not TV, but, you know, they're watching these episodes. Like Stephen Colbert is still really popular amongst teens, especially. And they're listening to podcasts and they're, they're getting all of this information that at our age, we didn't get that much of, no, you know, no, no. it was trickles. But how are they, I mean, as adults, we have a hard time picking out the truth from not. So are kids smarter than us, do you think? Do you think that they're able to see the fake news for lack of a better term? I can answer that. I kind of, yes. I kind of think that they still have that. You know, when your two-year-old looks up at you and they're like, 
Yeah, you're just trying to get me to do something I don't want to do. I think there's still enough of that in youth as having, like, my oldest is 22, my youngest is 19. Cassidy voted in her first election last time, and it was Bernie when she when we went to the caucus and all that kind of stuff. She, that was what she wanted to do. Um, I don't, I don't think that that quite has changed it. I think that that shift doesn't happen till a little bit later. I think it's starting to happen with her where you, your bullshit o meter is a little bit better. Like you're used to we people trying dis- to con you, disenfranchised, like all of us. Exactly. Because we're like, well, how do we know that? what he's saying for healthcare is really like, does the math really add up? So as a kid, are you seeing that they are more of a fighter and clearer vision? I absolutely do. I see much more energy and I think it's a much more organized energy. I think the March for Our Lives a number of years ago did a really good job of showing teenagers, especially how it can be done and how, how they need to be doing it. That was less than two years ago. (laughs) It's been a really, really long. <laughs> <I know. laughs> it, it's it's crazy to think. I mean, if you think about all the big movements since, and we've had yeah. the massive women's marches, the Me Too movement, the the March for Our Lives, the Black Lives Matter, like all of this is stuff that's happened in the last four years. Uh, Black Lives Matter is a little bit older, right? And that was towards yeah. the end of Obama's administration. So one thing that we've talked about on the podcast a number of times is. If you want to say the only good that's come from Trump, if you even want to say that, is it has mobilized so many people. Way more people have come out in protest and since Trump came in than ever before. So I think a whole lot more people are aware, younger generation, older generation are aware and really tired of what's going on. Oh, absolutely. But... I mean, we can't forget that, what was it, 62 million people voted for him. Yep. I think it was the And, and I think he still has an abundance of support, unfortunately, because people, they did a, Chris read some article where they asked, uh, I don't know if it was conservatives and liberals or if it was Republicans and Democrats or whatever, but they asked where they get their news from. And Oh, yeah, it was a, it was an independent poll that was done. Uh, and they had asked, um, it was just nationwide poll and they asked people, which, you know, which way do you lean? Like self-identify as, you know, right, conservative, left, liberal, like how far into that realm. And then they started asking them questions about where is your primary news source? Um, what of the major news sources do you trust? And they went through and listed, there's like 25 different news sources. It was very telling on the Republican side, um, it was basically Fox. So like 60 plus percent of respondents said uh, Fox News is their number one trusted news source. Um, less, there were only two others that even got 30 percent of people that identified as right leaning that had only they there were only two other news sources that had uh, at least 30 percent of people say uh, they're a trusted news source. And on the leaning liberal side or the Democratic side, there were 16 different news sources that at least had 30% of people saying they were a trusted news source. And the reason I bring this up is because those people who voted for Trump are still listening to all the, all Trump news 24 seven. You, you see awesome the funny that- interviews of people who are like, you know, read the document like Trump says, and they're like, well, have you read it? Well, no. You know, they, you, you start to drill down on what they're saying and, and they're not list, they're not, they're, they're just saying the party line. They're not paying attention. So I think that he still has enough of that support that 
there's huge, huge, huge concern that those people will be like, well, he says he's under attack, you know, rally the troops. We can't let this go. And, and that they'll, they'll show up to the polls again and that Absolutely. the, that our stupid uh, electoral college will mess up the, the popular well, vote again. He is a hero to so many people and he will have that base and there's no turning them. We understand that. That's not you the can't fight. Go after yeah. that base. It's not the fight to have. It's not. It's not worthwhile of our time right now. What is worthwhile is connecting with everyone else and showcasing, like, no matter what. I don't. At the end of the day, I don't want my my son. And my son is two years old. He's my youngest, two years old. I don't want him growing up thinking that that man is acceptable as a model. You know, that's horrendous. Yeah. Like the fact that he even got where he. In the primary for the Republican Party, I was just blown away. But the country's angry. We have an entirely disenfranchised movement of people who are angry and they're, they've been left behind. So screw everyone else. You know, like I'm going to focus on me and mine and this man speaking to what I need. And he's a con man. We know that he's a good salesman, but a terrible businessman, right? Um, he's an awful president. I can't imagine what it's like for the generals, especially to have to salute this man. <laughs> like, how well, is this just, happening? We know they intentionally hide things from him. Well, and it's like he was telling the, the, Supreme Court justices that they need to recuse themselves and stuff. This is an equal level of government. Perf- I mean, they are equal to the president in the way our, our government is set up. And he's like trying to tell them that they should recuse themselves and stuff. He's like way in over his head and people think that that is okay. It is. And it, it's scary because he, they, the party is trying to set up an option for having a third term. We've already seen that the little, um, microcosm things that they're doing throughout the nation to for the next election and yeah, like trying to continue to gerrymander yeah, the state of utah a, a, after the census this is a massive chess game right like so they're always thinking a few steps ahead this so we need to know where they are and at, at the end of the day the only thing that is going to work is if we're talking to our neighbors and our friends and our family and we're saying look we need to stop this we need to get back to who we really are as americans I don't believe that we should have children being ripped from their mother's breasts and thrown into cages. I think that's horrendous. I don't think that that's something any American really wants in our names, you know, um, especially in Utah. Like, it, we're Utah. We're the family-friendly state. When I told you I moved here um, just a few years ago, the first thing we did was, well, we looked it up. It's like Utah's a family. It, that's the family state. And knowing that we weren't going to have any family or friends here, we were like, okay, well, we can do this. We can have our, we can raise our children here for the next few years and see what happens. And we love it. We love Utah, but it's hard here. I mean, you know, within, like I said, we've been four years. We've had eight suicides hit our teenage children. Mm. And that their social circle, that's a lot to have to deal with while also a teenager and also trying to do all the things in this world we're living in. So, you know, we can do better. We have to do better. We have kids at the so, raise. So let me ask this question. This is, I think, really important. Um, Donald Trump, and this is not the, this has been happening more 
uh, frequently. It happened with George W. Bush, um, and it's, it's now happened with Donald Trump. He doesn't win the popular vote. In fact, Donald Trump was crushed in the popular vote. Absolutely. But he wins the electoral vote. And, and a big part of why he won the electoral vote is he really appeals to that, for whatever reason, that base that lives in middle America, that is downtrodden, that he's a hero to, that really don't understand. And then there's this other sector of people that make obscene money and are not charitable and think he's amazing because he's letting them run roughshod over whatever they want, you know, the oil tycoons and, and the like. So how do you... Uh, in a campaign like with Bernie Sanders, and let's talk specifically in Utah, because Utah's a state that he, he's, he's gonna win again. I, I don't know how you propose that you beat Donald Trump in the state of Utah. Um, it's just, no matter how much they hate him, they're not gonna vote Democrat. Like, that's just kinda how it works. So in states, maybe not like Utah, but in states like Wisconsin, in states like Ohio, how do you convince the electorate there to vote for uh, a Democratic candidate to vote for a Bernie Sanders if, if he's the one uh, th- that's on the ticket against Trump instead of Trump. How do you swing those states that are actually going to control the election? Because I'll be honest with you, New York, California, Texas, those aren't states that matter. They're states that are going to go the same way that they always go. It's it's Pennsylvania, it's Wisconsin, it's Ohio, it's those states that Hillary lost in ridiculous fashion. How how do how do we win those states this this go around? We have to pay attention to them. We have to understand that, uh, you know, the fact that we don't have we still don't have drinking water in Flint, Flint Michigan is horrendous. <laughs> but we also don't have that in Utah in San Juan County. They don't have drinkable water. They're having to drive. They've had miles mile orders for months. Yeah, they have to drive miles and miles to get to, to get to water, which. It's 2020. What are we talking about here? This is this is not acceptable. And that's why to reach out to all these voters across the country who who feel completely disconnected from everything else. We have to show them a vision is possible that you have to build something. And that's why we can't have it where it's just billionaires participating. Number one, because we can't we first of all, you you. You cross out all the other candidates because you're raising the cost of running a campaign. He is throwing money at everyone. And these workers, they're good campaign workers and they deserve to live you know, living wages and being able to have have their her bills paid. But it's the fact that he is driving up these costs it is going to make it so that no one else can run. It already is to a point where most people can't run. Most people can't raise, you know, $75,000 for a house district race. It's a lot. It's a lot of money because there are consultant classes and, you know, there's, there's this whole industry that's built around it and people's time is valuable. So, so what do you, what do you say to people? I'm, I'm going to get back to the Utah Democratic Party, I promise. (laughs) But I, we're, we're on this, we're on this line with, with Bernie and with the general election and I want to, want to ask a couple more questions. So earlier today, um, as I'm, I'm working from home this afternoon, I'm uh, ingesting some CNN because there's a debate tonight. And that's one of the things that sucks about recording on Tuesdays is I've missed every Democratic primary sure. because they're all on Tuesday. Um, but uh, there's a debate tonight and the talk from, you know, 
every pundit on CNN was the Dems are going to go after Bernie hard um, because Bernie and this is this is my concern with Bernie. I love Bernie. Uh, I'm I'm probably as liberal as the guy is, uh, but my concern is he's too far left because he's not actually a Democrat. Bernie is a self-identified socialist uh, and he 100% supports socialist policies. He's even in recent days made comments about, you know, Castro and, and what's going on in Cuba is not horrible. And some of the things that China's done as they become more socialist and less communist have, have been impressive. My concern is, is he too far left to grab that middle ground of, of folks that are, on the fence of do we go with Trump or do we go with someone else? Is he too far left? Is he too far the opposite direction? I don't think so. Obviously, that that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I think that people need to be more educated on what democratic socialism is. I think that's the the main hurdle right now. Is, is socialism have for so many people has has been this just ghost in the room or. It's been a naughty word since the Cold yeah, War. Absolutely. But there is this whole other, other generation who ha- didn't grow up with the Cold War. They didn't grow up with the, the scary Russian, you know, bad guy of Rocky. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> this is Oh, Natasha. don't worry. We know who Dolph Lundgren is. It's fine. <laughs> um and so we really appealing to this, this younger generation and making sure that their, their voices are at the table and they're being heard because as we all know, policies take forever to put into place. It's not like this is going to just instantly happen. So we need to be talking to teenagers. We need to be talking to even younger, I believe we, cause we want to know what kind of world do they want? What kind of world are we all going to exist in? Because everything is changing. You know, if we don't get on t- board with the Green New Deal, we're going to be left behind because every other country in the world is, is focusing on that. We have to. Our uh, climate change is real and we, <laughs> we really, what? well, yeah. Um, wait, we, my lawn isn't covered in snow. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. And it's February. <laughs> we really do need to recognize that that is the ultimate threat. We have one planet and we need to be much better to it. So, um, making sure it's livable for our children and their children and having that option is always good. You know, we have to focus on our humanity, our shared humanity. Um, and so there's all these policies that are then affected by all of that. You know, the inland port, I know people here are very upset about it. Um, but we also know that it's going to bring a lot of jobs and, Jobs are great, and you, we, you know, there's all these different arguments, pro and con, and we have to have those discussions. We have to have a much better public discourse. And uh, well, you mean we don't try to just shove the inland port through and screw everyone that wants to talk about it, <laughs> and then end up in litigation for years? We just, we yeah, <laughs> yeah. Someone's getting paid for it, right? <laughs> well, there's a lot of people getting paid for it. Sure. So, you know, at the end of the day, we that's why it's so important that more more people are getting involved and paying attention and having these conversations like on a daily basis. And it's it's a lot. And I know it sucks. But when we were taught not to talk about politics, we're taught, you know, it's it's uncouth or, you know, it's too. That's not what I taught my kids. And I think that's and I think that's the difference. I think that that our generation that raised kids have been more open. And I think the other half of that is, you know, the device that Jess has in her hand right now, like 
we didn't have cell phones when we were kids. We didn't have computers when we were kids. It wasn't until we were a bit older. You might have. Um, I don't know how old you are. You look a little younger. Well, um, she said she has a, a an eighteen year old, so, she, yeah. so she's got to be, you know, at least like I'm Oregon Trail generation. Okay, so yeah, you're you're my generation. So okay, we, I checked with Cassidy, and she is still a Bernie fan. So, awesome, but that's but that's uh. That's that's a big difference, right? So Oregon Trail was great, but Oregon Trail, I have it on my phone, by the way, um, but Oregon Trail didn't have internet, right? Like you were saying earlier, we got information trickled to us as kids. Sure. We got, you know, when the president was on TV, there was nothing else on TV. That was still the case in the 90s, unless you had extended cable that was it. It was the president on every channel when he was doing his speech, right? There was no, oh, flip over to Comedy Central and watch, you know, a stand-up comic or, or the, the Daily Show or South Park. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So those things didn't exist, but today they do. And so our kids today walk around this, this young generation. They grew up with cell phones in their hands. They grew up with, with computers more powerful than we ever had in their pockets that are at, well, at the... And instant information. Yeah. And that's why... That's why and we talked about this with um who who was on from the March for Our Lives what was her name uh Saida Saida yeah um she's amazing right yeah she's coming back by the way she's doing an event next month awesome <laughs> well and when we talked to her that's one of the things we talked about like when I was a kid I remember Columbine because Columbine happened when I was still in school uh and growing up in Wyoming. We had guns in our parking lot, in people's gun racks, in unlocked cars. Like, it was not a big deal. It's just how it was. After Columbine happened, all that changed. Our school changed its policies. But there was no movement by youth at that point because there was no communication. We were just starting with emails in the mid-90s and late-90s. And there were chat rooms by the people that knew what they were. We didn't have text messages. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Facebook. We had ICQ. Yeah, <laughs> like I think MySpace was just starting, and sure. like Friendster. <laughs> yeah. But that's the difference now. So now you can have something happen all the way in Florida and have a march for it in Utah a year later successfully because kids are staying connected to what happened and they're not forgetting. Yeah, oh, no, absolutely not. And it's been like for my own children who have been dealing with this because, you know, they're teenagers. My yeah. older two are 18 and 17 um, and from Florida. So that really hit home because it could have been them. And we might have if we never left Florida, they, we might have moved to that area. You never know. And and it was really like it hit them hard. Like, oh, this is the world we're living in. It's like, I'm sorry, guys. Like, you know, it really is it's crappy. And that's why we have to do our best to to change things and lead by example well instead of bomb drills now they have you know active shooter drills and i work in insurance and like the new biggest thing is active shooter coverage for if someone comes into some you know and you're an employee of that company and they're having claims against companies that are like you should have protected me better sure well i I can't believe that there's insurance um but my my eight-year-old has panic attacks because of the shooting drills. Well, and I, I, I will tell you, your your kids could have very likely experienced that in Utah. And I'm I'm gonna plug these guys again. The oh, safe, yeah. the safe UT app has been one of the most amazing things to happen in the state of Utah sure. in terms of prevention. There's a reason we haven't had a mass shooting in a school yet, and I'm I'm almost 100 percent give it give credit to the guys that made the safe UT app. They stop attacks on schools mm-hmm. multiple times a year now. Credible 
threats where they end up finding stash of weapons or bomb making materials. You don't hear about it on the news a lot because mm-hmm. they don't like to publicize it. Sure. Uh, but it happens daily. Uh, we got a lot of stats from them, uh, earlier last year. Uh, and it's, it's crazy. The stuff that that, that app has, has been able to, to curtail in the state of Utah. But that's again, kids being engaged from a cell phone. Absolutely. That's them downloading an app and saying something. Unfortunately, it's them protecting themselves. Like, where are the adults in this? We, we're, since we're still kind of talking about national news and stuff, gun control is still such a huge issue. And it doesn't have to be, you know, they're coming for our guns. It just has to be more responsible. Like, they're constantly saying, well, we should take away abortion rights because women shouldn't have abortions. Well, what about the kids that exist here that are afraid that they're going to get shot and killed? Let's... Let's put some effort into kids who exist and are here and are living and are terrified like your eight year old because they have to have a stupid active shooter thing. Let's I mean, there's so many things that we could that we could do to help this. And and people still insist, well, I want to be able to carry my gun into, you know, freaking Walmart. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't want somebody that's not trained protecting me. I would rather die by someone else's hand than have you try to protect me and errantly shoot someone else on my behalf. Like, no. All all I'm saying is you should have to have a license and carry insurance in order to have a gun lawfully. That's it. Sure. I don't think that's too much to ask. Not a driver's license, a license to carry the firearm. It doesn't violate our constitutional amendment to have the right to bear arms. just requires that you have some sort of training. Yeah, I don't know anyone who wants to like take away anyone's guns. They just want sensible gun law and gun gun control. We want to make sure that people who shouldn't have guns, like domestic violence abusers, I'm sorry, but I has a I absolutely problem with. it's huge. You know, what was it one in every four? Oh, I don't know. It's horrible. It is. It's, Two it, weeks it, ago, and, there was one downtown. Like it doesn't. Yeah, and no one wants to talk about, you know, because as a victim, as, as a survivor personally, like, you, you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to be the one who has been thrown against the wall by someone that you're supposedly in, in love with or in a relationship with or you're stuck with, you know? And Medicare for All, for instance, gives women the opportunity to not be tied to uh, someone who's, who's reliant on for insurance. You know, um, a living wage is gives women uh, the opportunity to raise their children. I mean, we did at one time have a society where you could raise a family on one income. That's two adults and 2.5 kids, ago. right? And it wasn't that long ago. And then we suddenly had a president who was definitely okay with shifting all the taxes and making sure that only a few people were getting a big chunk of the pie. And the rest of us were trying to figure out what happened and we're going to be distracted by all of this other glitz and glamour and everything else that we're supposed to aspire to. We're supposed to want to be pop stars and you know, on TV and in movies, but in, at the end of the day, what's important is people in our communities, like, you know, firemen and people delivering the mail and plumbers. Picking up your garbage. Picking up the garbage this morning. I, the carpet man had to come because we had a flood in the basement. Oh. The water heater did something and, and he came out and cleaned the carpet and had to dry it out and poor my son. But, um, but you know, those are, those are the things that really matter. Those are the jobs that really matter in our society. We don't value them enough. We, that's why a living wage is so huge. 
But like I was saying, it was one income could do that. You could have a decent, respectful life and you could send your kid to school safely. You did, you know, your weather drills, but and then they could go to college if they had that, if they wanted to, and they could afford it with a part time summer job. I have $100,000 in student loan debt with my husband. My son is a freshman now and has now his own student loan debt. And that's just what's going to keep happening. And it's not like we, you know, oh, scam the system. We had to go. That was the only way out. That was the only way to get an education was you had to take out a loan. And you had to do it. That's the only way to get the education. Exactly. Jeremy just barely paid his off, right? You did just the before my oldest started college. Yeah. I paid mine off. Congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so uh, I think we've we've talked about the 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 national election quite a bit. I want to get back to the we'll, we'll maybe get back at, at the end of the the interview to that. I, I want to get back to the Democratic Party and I want to talk about in the state of Utah the Democratic Party and some of the things that that have changed over the last few years. Because um, one of the things that I saw is. You know, while most of the people didn't know what was going on in those gymnasiums, there were a lot of people like you that went, hey, what's going on in here? Uh, and, and stepped in and were invited into this weird world of the Democratic Party in the state of Utah and started getting involved. And I know there were some old hats that were in charge of things, and there were people like you that ended up winning and, and being put in charge of things, and I want to hear from you. And you were like, ha ha! <laughs> what are some of the changes that have been made, uh, and and um, how do people get involved, and is there still a lot of infighting between the old guard and the new people? <laughs> I want inside <laughs> details. Remember you asked her if, <laughs> if there was something she didn't want to talk about? <laughs> like, no. I know you don't want to step on people's toes necessarily, right. but I know that stuff happened. I know that stuff happened a lot. Um, and, and I can't imagine that it's just stopped overnight. Um, but, but what are some of the changes that have occurred in the state Democratic Party? Um, well, things I was most proud of uh, to have accomplished during the, the two years that I was leading the party, um, we were able to reactivate a county party um, with the help of some very wonderful volunteer leaders within the party. Um and that has a, a huge Native American population and making sure that their voices were included. It was something that I, w- I felt very strongly when I ran for the position. So that was something I felt really good about. Um, uh, we really expanded a lot of the Latino outreach. Um, West Valley has long been ignored and it is so I don't want to say ripe, but there are so many working class people here who clearly if we just talk to them and engage them, we are the party that they should be they should be behind, that they should be working with and being a part of. And you made that's why I really wanted to make sure that these these voices were being brought in, but you you don't just do that overnight, you know, like you can't just show up one day and be like, "Hey guys, you can't show up and <laughs> tell, crumb. tell Grandpa that he can't he can't do what he what he used to just do." Just bring all the brownies time. and rice krispies. Well, to be fair, really Grandpa's got a lot more time to do this than the rest of the volunteers because <laughs> Grandpa doesn't have a full time job anymore. Sure. And I think that's that's one of the things that you run into in in Grandpa's going to lose his like social that. security soon too if it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So my dentist was talking. Somebody had talked to him about because he has five kids and he was excited to have grandkids and he's like, "Look." 
I took care of my kids. They weren't, you know, I didn't have to have assistance. And I think if people have assistance, doesn't matter how many kids you have, which is true. But, but it was funny because he's, he basically said that to somebody. She was talking, she was complaining about something and she turned, he turned to her and he's like, my kids are paying for your, for me to take care of your teeth right now. So just, you know, you need to chill out about it because without them, you, you wouldn't have any care. You wouldn't have any income because it was all been, all the money you put in blew through a long time ago, uh, which I thought was really funny that my super conservative Mormon dentist was like, like, I'm done. I'm done listening to old people complain about young people and we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to do anything because it's not that. If you're responsible and you're taking care of business, who cares? Just be responsible and take care of your own business and stop trying to rule everybody else's life. Sure, absolutely. And everyone wants autonomy. I mean, we we have agency for a reason and we need to respect that. And that's why, um, you know, these bills that we do know up at the legislature, like McKay's bills are, they're controversial and they're, they're, they're done so for a reason because, you know, we do have a Trump administration and a Trump leading Supreme Court. And so you see these really hostile, uh, hostile to women's rights, um, bills going across the nation in local lo- localities, um, and making it through to the state legislatures. And it's, you know, it's because it's going to get tort- court challenge. We know this. And we know that there are definitely legislators who want to be the face that does that, you know, like. Sure, it's big publicity. It's publicity. And there are people in all realms that are, you know, resume builders and ladder climbers. And uh, that's the unfortunate side of just the world. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, I think enough people just really need to understand that. Uh, a, a woman's right to body autonomy is the same as a man's. Like, we are equal. We believe it. That's why we're pushing for the Equal Rights Amendment. It's just we're just making sure that the wording is include that we're included, that we will not be discarded. And we know we can be, you know, at the end of the day, like, I know that I can be violated at any moment. You know, I can be just be taken and. And that's a fear that I think every single woman is aware of from the moment they're aware of how people can look at them. And I think that's a fear that most men have no idea. It's why women don't want to live on first floors of buildings and things like that, because they know that a first floor window can be broken into easier than a second floor. And men don't think about things like that. Oh, absolutely not. I, I don't think, I mean, obviously I think there are a lot of uh, percentages of of men and non-binary that do have to deal with this um, and they don't get to speak out about it because it, it is seen as a, a woman's only issue. But it's not. It's, it's a hostility issue. It's a power issue. We have these structures that keep people in these positions where I'm going to take you, I'm going to own you, I'm going to do what I want to you. And we see that with our policies. I I know I don't want to keep intersecting everything. But at the end of the day, that's what it is. We are not being respectful. We weren't respectful to the tribes here. We're not respectful to people's autonomy. We're not respectful to raising our children in a space where they can just be safe 
I mean, I'm sorry. That's the whole point of community is to make sure that we can all exist together in a safe space and thrive together. I want to, I want to make sure that the people in my community are educated. I want to make sure that when I'm older, I have a nurse who can make sure check in my blood pressure and things like that. I, you know, these are important things to our community. We don't focus on that and we really do just need to have a whole shift in this culture. And, you know, we need someone who can inspire hope. And Bernie Sanders does that for an entire generation of people who will not do it for other, other candidates. So I gotta, I gotta ask you in, in running the Democratic Party, um, do, does, Clearly, the Democratic Party will ask people to run for elections in the state of Utah where Republicans run unopposed. But how does that decision get made and who who kind of identifies this person would be a good person to run? So you have a good shot at beating Eric Hutchings in my congressional district because I want him out. (laughs) (laughs) And he only wins. He only wins by less than a thousand votes every year. And it's really tight. It's a tight race in this district for him every single year. Um, because, you know, we, Karen Maines, our senator. Um, so how does the, the Utah Democratic Party determine what races, uh, they, they need someone to, to go up against and, and where do they, find the people to ask to run that, that aren't necessarily doing that on their own. They have a great candidate subcommittee. It's like a recruitment committee that tracks all of the different races that across the, across the state, up and down the ticket, um, to, you know, build a, build a bench and do all that. And the, I think Dr. Lori Taylor is still the chair. She's always been wonderful at it. She's very organized and she is able to find good, good natural leaders for their communities. Um, as when I was chair, a candidate recruitment was a really big part of it. It was, you know, making sure that they were good candidates to focus on the vision of built, like I had run on a longer, longer term vision. It was making sure that we weren't reliant on corporate money, that we weren't going to be, um, only focusing on Salt Lake County instead of focusing on all the developing counties, having a, a, a future vision instead of a short term quick turnaround. Which we knew we're not going to keep, you know, it, you have to make sure you're using your time valuably and uh, responsibly because at the end of the day, the, the parties all do deal with the donations. Um, it's hard to get money to, especially to a party that people don't feel connected to. After 2016, a lot of people were like, I, that's not what I thought this was. You know, I feel disconnected. I, I can donate directly. And so it is, it's a really difficult thing. And so you really have to figure out, um, how is the structure going to best benefit you? And to me, the state party has a huge opportunity to flip a lot of races, but they really need to make sure that they are bringing in enough voices to the table. Okay, so let's let's now talk about uh, this Tuesday coming up here. Um, yeah, why is it, why is it a big deal that it's happening here in Utah too? It's so, super. Yeah, so Super Tuesday <laughs> is is uh, the biggest primary day in the country. So you hear a lot about Ohio and the New Hampshire primary and the 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 small primaries that actually happen throughout. And and what those primaries do generically is take our candidate list of what like thirty six, I think, by the time it was all said and done, people running for. 
a president in the Democratic Party, and they slowly whittle down. By the time you have those first primaries in like Ohio and New Hampshire, um, you've lost most of your field. And so now we're down to what five, maybe six that have a real shot. Uh, you've got Bernie, uh, Buttigieg, uh, Warren, Biden. No, oh, he's running for Senate. Yeah. He's he's running for Senate, didn't you hear? You didn't hear? What? He He did a speech. Biden did a speech. Oh, Biden. He said he was running for Senate. Senate. That dude. And if if you don't vote for that Biden, you should vote for the other Biden. The what? Creepy Uncle Joe Biden? Uh, Like, look, if there is one candidate that has no damn chance of beating Trump, it is Uncle Joe who stands for nothing but old ass politics and the establishment of the Democratic Party. He's just riding on I was Obama's vice president. And I think he would have been great four years ago if his kid didn't have cancer. He would have been a fantastic candidate. I think he would have probably won. Um, but it's a lot different now. Um, but so you have, and then you have, so Biden, Warren, Bernie, Buttigieg, uh, Klobuchar. Klobuchar. Klobuchar and Bloomberg really are, and I don't know how the fuck Bloomberg's going to stand a chance of dude spending so much money. It's not even funny. Um, I think that's it, right? Those are the six that are really left. Everyone right. else has pretty much dropped I, out. I believe so. I don't know. And I apologize. Tulsi Gabbard's still in, I believe. No, she? Tulsi dropped out months ago. I, I thought she so. dropped out. Cause they, I saw there was, was a news here. article. Yeah, there was a news article here that said presidential candidate in town. Yeah, she was here on Saturday at Snowbird, I believe. I thought she dropped out of the race. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure she dropped. <laughs> I don't <out>. remember. <laughs> yeah, she said in South Carolina that she was dropping out. Okay. Um, I don't but- know. I don't know. Maybe I'm Anyways. Not. But anyway, so Super Tuesday, and I don't know, I mean, you probably know better than I do. Um, how many, how many electoral votes are up in Super Tuesday? 29. 29 electoral votes on Super Tuesday is what's up for grabs for Democratic candidates. That's a big deal. It is. That's, and, and so part of why it's a big deal is Utah used to be like, when was our primary? Like in the end of May or something? In June? Maybe even June. later? Last year? Yeah. Uh, and that's that's where it's been for years. And so basically what that means is by the time Utah used to roll around, uh, the race is already decided. There's usually one candidate uh, still running, maybe two, but one of them is not looking great. And there's, the Utah vote doesn't really matter. You know, it's really exciting being a part of Super Tuesday. I, I, was, I was thrilled at the time. Yeah. So now, so this is a place where your vote matters if you're a Democrat in the state of Utah in the general uh, you absolutely should go vote, but probably your vote for president's not going to have a big impact in a state like Utah because we're just so heavily right-leaning. Sure. But in a primary, it absolutely matters because picking up these delegates make a big decision as to who gets that nomination. No, absolutely. You're voting for the delegates. The delegates are the ones who make all the decisions for the, the party, um, and the party, certain members then are representatives at the DNC. And, you know, we have 29 delegates that will based on proportion of mm-hmm. the electoral ha- uh, voting happenings on Tuesday. But um, we have six superdelegates. Uh, for like eight, right? Basically. Don't superdelegates count roughly for eight regular delegates? No, way more than that. It's way more than that. It, and um, we did negotiate down um, in the 2018 DNC meetings to reduce the power of the superdelegates, it was... Um, 27 and a half? Where they uh, only are uh, 
they only come in on the second ballot. But now we're seeing that this that's exactly what's going to happen. Bloomberg is going to do something to ensure that it's a, a not just a brokered convention, but that he wins. Like he he's already he already has Ben McAdams, Congressman Ben McAdams. He endorsed him. Mm-hmm. Congresswoman Jenny Wilson. She's a national committee woman. She endorsed Pete Buttigieg. Like no one is staying neutral right now. And for me, as for those positions, I was a little surprised um, because because of the last cycle with the issue with this, the super delegates who are, are now unpledged delegates. Same thing. Um, in the 2016 cycle, we had uh, uh, four super delegates, um, 50 50. You know, to uh, Clinton and Sanders, and a lot of people were very angry because the percentages they thought it should have been three to Sanders and one to, you know, just the numbers mattered. And it's been an ongoing fight for four years now. But well, and so that's so this this comes back to why Super Tuesday matters because that's that's our delegate count, but um. We have basically it's the big primary election, right? Sure. So now Utah's vote actually matters, and yeah. your influence means maybe Sanders doesn't drop. Sanders isn't going to drop out on Super <laughs> Tuesday. Um, he, there'd have to be something monumentally crazy to happen for, sure. for him to drop right now. But you may see after Super Tuesday, you may see an Elizabeth Warren or a Joe Biden or a Buttigieg. I really need Joe Biden to drop out of the race. <laughs> like it, it's it's mm-hmm. not unrealistic to see after a Super Tuesday result several candidates completely drop out because sure. you can't raise money at that point if you don't have a decent decent uh, amount of gain in, in Super Tuesday. I'm just surprised based on the last per- couple of uh, performances and these speeches that we're seeing record of. And maybe this is how it's always been and now that we have instant communication, we're having record of what people are actually like. But seeing videos of Biden especially, I'm surprised at how hostile he's being towards his audience sometimes. I'm surprised at the the level of discourse he's showing because he's never, I didn't thought, think was like that. I mean, we've, we've I th- heard all of the horrible I jokes. I think it's getting, I think it's I, getting hard. I think that the pressure is, is actually starting to hit them. Yeah. And, and they, they know that a lot, a lot is at stake. Um, but really, I, it, maybe it's ego, but I just don't see why they don't understand that Bernie Sanders has a movement that can really be what stops Trump and his huge base like that's a lot of people that show up at these events they are fired up they're angry you can feel that energy like you can watch the videos and you can feel it Um, i can't imagine what it's like to actually be at one of those rallies and it's i don't think that that's what we want in electoral politics at the very minimum we we need to get back to um decorum at the you know just be kind yeah, good luck be with kind. that well, it's, it's not even that but like she's right there's there's a decorum that trump doesn't follow like he has gotten to the point now where he can swear and insult and slam and laugh and just you know lean on a podium and 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 chat with the folks and maybe i'm old-fashioned because i'm older i don't know i i want a president who when he or she walks up to the platform can just command some respect just merely by ha- <laughs> thanks Trump <laughs> merely by just being there and and 
I, I don't think that there are a lot of presidents in the history where you can say they didn't have some version of that. And when I see Trump, I just think, you big, ugly, fat doofus, get off the stage. Like, how are you even representing me right now? Why do I have to claim you? It's so hard for me to say President Trump or the president of this country. I almost always just say Trump, Donald Trump. Trump. I don't like to give him the title because I feel like it gives him a respect that he doesn't deserve and he doesn't command. I also, I, he just did the national prayer breakfast a, a couple of weeks ago and, or like, I don't know time anymore. Um, <laughs> and it, he was so disrespectful and so just not what you would expect at that level of an event. And, you know, just I just look at his trip to India. <laughs> I, Do you know that that was, has been the most Googled thing by Americans is where is India? <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, they love they love him over Just there. Just letting though. you they know. Absolutely love him over there. Because I mean, he's he's a buffoon. He's a he's a he's a cl- he's the cl- ringmaster. Mm-hmm. Not no, not that's not right. What's the one? There's a different the court. He's like the head clown or something. Yeah, like, he's just, but he's the distraction from all of this horrible policies that are being on passed Rouge. under his watch. The guy you know? on Moulin Rouge who runs the place. He's that guy. Jim Broadbent. In the movie, though. Yeah. 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 That's who he is sure. with the big um, but, singing but and the, the dancing. And the but that's what the clowns are in a circus. Like, they're there to entertain you while everything is being switched around and moved and exactly. the sets are being they're changed. Which, yeah. So she's, she's totally right. Like, he's, he's the clown of, of this and he's distracting us all with his idiocy. And in the meantime, the, the Senate and the House, you know, run, well, not the House so much anymore, but run amok and we get, you know, Stupid, what's the beer drinking Supreme Court Justice, uh, Kavanaugh. The rapist. You know, elected, <laughs> and now he's making let's not, law. Let's not tone down what he did. He's a rapist. <laughs> but I mean, like, that's what's happening. He, he's a big, huge distraction. He held rallies. He's held rallies this whole time. He's been campaigning again this whole time. He's kept his momentum going. And these people think that it's great because it's like when your favorite band comes to your your city and your state and you're like, he loves us because he picked, you know, Salt Lake City to put on their on their their band tour. Mm -hmm. That's what he does. Every time he goes to one of those places and holds one of those rallies, the people there think he loves us. He picked our state. He picked our city. And nobody else has ever done that. So how do people get involved, Daisy? <laughs> they uh, show up. They return their ballots if they have not yet done so. Uh, Super Tuesday is uh, right around the corner. Um, they have until the 28th to early vote. They can vote in person if they want to go to their <laughs> local county clerk's office. Uh, ballots that you got mailed to you have to be postmarked by the 2nd. Don't forget to sign the envelope. Yes, it's please. right there. I mean, just follow the directions. But, I mean, it, it alleviates a lot of the ha- the recounts and the issues that the clerks then have to go through. And the clerks do. They're saints. The, yeah, they're saints. They're doing what they can. Um, they rely on a lot of volunteers to help out with counting, physically counting the ballots. Um just to make sure that it's we're on, on the up and up, and uh, we want to make sure that this election is clean and clear. Like election integrity is huge. I'm not. I'm surprised there's so much resistance um, just across the board with um, why we're not paying more attention to 
how easy it is to hack these apps and um who's running the elections and just there's just all sorts of nefarious things that you know we should be dealing with just in general like we're setting the game rules here here's the neutral party they're going to run the that part of things and it's it's not and i'm really surprised at where our government has ended up so um got one other question for you sure what's one thing uh in utah that you couldn't bear to part with because you're, you know, you're a Florida girl. You're ours now. Um, a Florida woman. <laughs> <laughs> but what's one thing that you couldn't bear to part with? It's better than Utah. a Florida man. Yeah. <laughs> I know that. Uh, Utah snow. I love Utah snow. I love sledding because I'm not brave enough to do anything else. Um, but I love sledding with my kids and just having that kind of freedom in nature and just getting to be present. And that's not something we get too much of. You know, we're always in a hurry. We're always in a rush. There's always a million things that we're trying to juggle at the same time and get someplace and be angry because we're stressed. <laughs> and, you know, um, and, but when I get those those few moments with, with them, it's like, this is so fun. Do you have know? a favorite sledding hill? No, I usually just go to the one right down the street. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daisy, how can people get a hold of you if they want to help with the campaign? Oh, they can uh, go to my Facebook, um, Daisy for Utah, and they can also go DaisyForUtah.com and reach me there. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. Well, thanks again to our guest, Daisy Thomas uh, of uh, Bernie Sanders' campaign uh, and the uh, being the Democratic chairhead. She's she's also she didn't even give herself enough credit. She's involved in a lot of things. Yeah, she's, even though her focus right now is just the Bernie campaign, she's always up. She's always in meetings. She's she's a lot busier than she alluded. And she's got a two year old. What the crap? She has a two year old and an eight year old, and then an eighteen year old, seventeen and eighteen. Yep. She's uh, being the head of the Democratic Party is a lot of work. And what she said is absolutely true. It is a volunteer organization, uh, in particular in the state of Utah. If if we don't want to be beholden to corporate donations, that's kind of what has to happen is, is it has to be led by the people for free. So um, good on her for doing all that stuff, because that's a it's a big job to take on. Um, Jess, you had some other event or some crap. Oh, it's not about. an event. So anybody that goes to the farmer's market or is around downtown might have noticed that the buzzed coffee truck hasn't been around. We have and, sadly. Uh, unfortunately, her transmission blew oh, and no. it's about a $7,000 repair. So if anybody... Is she to, still like, making coffee like in her driveway? Can no. we go? <laughs> Drive over oh, to man, Trina's her house. neighbors would be so mad. <laughs> it's a small it neighborhood. Be a, it would be a constant. <laughs> yeah, it, that wouldn't be a good thing. <laughs> but anyways, um, maybe like reach out to Buzz Coffee Truck if you want to make donations or anything to help. Do they with have that. a GoFundMe or anything? Set no, up? somebody was talking about it, but I haven't seen one set up yet. So. That would be, that's, need that's to get really her sad. Back on the road. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, we do. So. Get her back on the road so I can have coffee. I know, and... right? <laughs> I felt I, like betrayed her at the farmer's market getting coffee from another truck. I was like, <sighs> I had guilt. I had coffee guilt. I still use their, their branded canteens in my coffee uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, so. I, every day. Those clean canteens are freaking awesome. They're one yeah. of my, because they can come, they come I was, completely I said apart. I it next to the microwave. 
to work the other day and I was like, it like jolted out of my hand and I was like, what's happening? Cause it has a magnet on oh. it. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you liked what you heard, um, please share the episode. That helps us a lot. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, the new Utah podcast or Twitter and Instagram at TNU podcast. Uh, our website is the new Um, and I think that's it. Uh, make sure you get your ballots in, uh, your, your primary ballots, or if you don't get a chance to do that, uh, you can show up to the polls. There will be polls on, on March 3rd uh, to cast your vote uh, in the primary. That's, you know, if you're a Democrat. Can I vote then? I can't, huh? Because I'm not registered. I'm I unaffiliated. I think you have to declare affiliation still. I thought you didn't have to be for Democratic voting. You, you still have to declare your affiliation, I think. <laughs> Might want to look into that. I don't um, want to be affiliated. But go to the go to the poll. Your vote counts a lot in this primary presidential election. Um, I don't know if there's any other primaries other than the presidential primary going Not on in until Utah. June. Uh, so, but Super Tuesday is a big deal. Uh, it's a big that big deal that Utah's in it. Um, so whoever you vote for, if it's Bernie or Pete or hopefully it's not Trump because you shouldn't be listening Elizabeth. to this show. You probably tuned out by now. Let's be honest. If you're a Trump supporter, uh, we talked a lot of shit on Orange <laughs> 45. Uh, and so you're He's a horrible human being. You, you've probably tuned out by now and that's okay. Um, that's, that's perfectly fine. Uh, for those of you that are still listening, um, I'm sorry that, um, that he's president. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> 